on this week's episode, can Picard boldly go where other Star Trek series have gone before? Is it a fine time to be a gentleman? And are you ready for Super Mario World? All this and more as we reach our next stop, the PCC Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry. That quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse. And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. This is Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture Cosmos, The Lakers Fast Break, Inside Sports Fantasy Football, and Game Source. Thank you so much for listening to all of our great programs. But it wouldn't be a PCC Multiverse without my good friend. He's our own starship captain of Pop Culture Cosmos. You got to check out what he's doing today at popculturecosmos.wordpress.com, his awesome show, Topicocalypse, and his great book, Congratulations, You Suck. It is my good friend. It is Josh Peterson. What's up, man? What's up? What's up? Just dealing with some uh, SoCal allergies, if you know what I mean. For me, they turn from SoCal allergies to desert headaches galore from the wind and the dust and all that here in the valley. But it is going to be a great episode we've got for you today. We're going to be talking some Star Trek Picard because Star Trek Picard debuted this week on CBS All Access. One of Josh's favorite movie styles is coming out this weekend at the box office because the gentleman showcases Guy Ritchie's talents again. Plus, we've got Marcus De La Garza. He's stopping by to talk about The Expanse. Plus, also, we've got three great interviews coming up from Pepcom and CES. It's JBL, JBL Quantum, and Moff Mutrix. So that's coming up on the show here today. We're also going to be talking about Super Mario World coming to Universal in Florida and also, maybe a little bit of Blade Runner to close out the show. But my friend, it is Star Trek Picard. It did debut this week. It's probably the biggest news in pop culture right now. The return of Jean-Luc Picard to the world of Star Trek. So I want to hear your thoughts with Patrick Stewart once again reprising his role. Are you excited for this round of Star Trek? Okay, well, I'll be honest, man. I'm not like a huge Star Trek fan. You know, I like the movies. I am interested in what makes this a role that he wants to keep going back to. You know, I'm hearing a lot of commercials where they're saying, you know, you should never have uh, left the deck of the ship and blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, obviously you're the, the Star Trek fan and I defer to you on all things Star Trek. But what is it about this role? Do you think that kept him wanting to do it? Because I know um, they just asked him, you know, hey, have you had talks with Kevin Feige about breaking into the MCU at all? And he said that, yes, he has had plenty of talks and he won't be going back. And he's, he goes on to say that him and Jackman decided they, they're just done with the characters. But from what I'm hearing, the story of Jackman's a little bit different. But I mean, what makes him want to go back to this character as opposed to some of the other big characters that he's done? Until I see a new Professor X that's out there, that's not James McAvoy or Patrick Stewart, I'm going to say right now it's still them because I know that there's probably talks going on with James McAvoy as well. I think that at some point in time, Patrick Stewart may be convinced and talked into it if it's right. And that's the same thing going on with Star Trek Picard. 
this was something that he's probably shooed off for quite some time returning back to the role, but it took a compelling narrative for him to get back into it. It's already been approved for season two, so obviously CBS All Access is very high on it. I got a chance to check out the first episode, and I guess what you could say is it came back to a lot of familiar themes for him as far as some of the the characters that he relates to and some of the characters that he is invested with over the course of his time with Star Trek The Next Generation and also the movies. And it does reference some of the things that went on in the movies, the Star Trek Next Generation movies in that timeline. So if you're familiar with that, you get to go ahead and get a refresher course on that. There's also a catastrophe that is part of the situation that they briefly touched on, which when I saw it, I was hoping for a little bit more elaborate, maybe like a, either a dream sequence or actually a recreation of the events that took place. So I was kind of a little bit disappointed as far as how it was presented. I wish it was been presented in a, a larger scale fashion. And someday it just might be in an episode down the line. So I'm hoping that will be the case. But it drives some of the reasoning behind the first episode. I will tell you that the individual that he meets up with that he had not met before helps really just carry things along in the episode very well. And I I think it was just a a nice way to go ahead and get Picard in it and get reasoning why Picard needs to go ahead and suddenly take up the mantle once again of being out in front in the world of space adventure. So it gives a lot of reasoning why he needs to get back into the life you know, something drew him out, and it's it's for a good reason and it's for a good cause. And it's not exactly the action slam bang blockbuster type first episode that some of these shows have. It gets more interesting as the episode goes on. So I was very intrigued by the end of the episode, and it made me wanting more. I thought it got off to a better start than Star Trek Discovery in the sense that I thought the pilot episode was a little bit better than than what Star Trek Discoveries was. But then again, Star Trek Discovery has more than made up with it for outstanding seasons and outstanding episodes since then that have been very compelling. So I'm hoping that will continue with Star Trek Picard. It's a totally different timeline than what you're seeing than what you're seeing with Star Trek Discovery. But it, it got off to a good start, a little slow. Like I said, it's building up to something better and something bigger. So I'm hopeful for a good future for Star Trek Picard. I know CBS All Access is behind it. And the production values were very good on it. So I was very impressed with what I saw from the first episode. Could have been better, but like I said, I'd give it a solid seven and a half, eight. Do you think that we'll ever get like a Crisis on Infinite Earth type thing where they do cross over some of these Star Trek timelines? I'm hopeful for something like that. So where they can combine it for, for like one type of event. I mean, they could theoretically do that because they have Star Trek Discovery just did that and in its new season we'll go ahead there'll be a massive time jump way forward in the future so there is the theoretic possibility that he go ahead and combine universes with star trek picard if they need to go ahead and do so yeah because it just it feels like that's another one of those properties where you have fans across all different walks of life you have people who are new to the show people who are old to the show people have been watching it since the the days of you know william shatner's kirk like there's people from all different walks of life and a lot of these actors are still alive but it feels like now is the time to kind of do something like that, to give people that crossover before you know, we lose more actors to old age or whatever force might take them from this world. Absolutely. So it looks like it's going to be a very interesting show. I'm going to stay tuned to it every Thursday on CBS All Access. And I hope everyone out there that enjoys the Star Trek universe 
and likes the return of Picard. I know that was something that a lot of people were kind of wary of with the nostalgia and all that, because you and I have touched on quite recently and in many of the episodes that we've done over the course of three years is nostalgia. These film companies, these TV companies banking sometimes too much on nostalgia. But for right now, this looks like a home run for CBS All Access. Star Trek Discovery has been a big hit for them. And I think as long as the storyline stays consistent, that Star Trek Picard will be a hit for them as well. What are your thoughts out there on Star Trek Picard? Did you like episode one? Are you excited for the future of Star Trek Picard? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, before we hit our first break and our interview with JBL from Pepcom, I want to ask you real quick, my friend, in regards to the gentleman at the box office, it's debuting in theaters this weekend here in the U.S. It's not expected to do gangbusters, a little bit over $10 million this weekend at the box office, which is, I guess, okay for a January movie, as long as it is doing well overseas. The reviews are kind of mixed. It's right now a 50 on Metacritic, so I'm not sure about how this will stack up with some of the other Guy Ritchie movies that are similar in nature to these British crime dramas that he likes to make. I, I say dramedies because they have a little bit of comedic nature into them. You know, how does this fit in with Revolver? How does this fit in with Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels? And of course, Snatch, which in his career seem to be the movies a lot of people point towards to. This is a return to that type of genre. Was it something that I think a lot of people were hoping for that because his, his career has taken him full circle that is going back to where he was once before? Are you excited for that? Because his career and what he's done in the time between this movie and his last movie of the like, Revolver, that's been 15 years. So do you think he can have that type of magic once again? I think so. I think he's still got a lot left in him. You know, let's not forget that Guy Ritchie films have never been, you know, box office smashes. They've always kind of had their cult. It's kind of like uh, Kevin Smith, right? These films have their cult followings and they do get bigger over time as people talk about them. You know, they're like Boondock Saints, Clerks, films like that. So let's not forget about that. You could say Aladdin's been a big hit for him and so well, has Aladdin... the Sherlock Holmes movies. Yeah, yeah, that's true, because they, they did have a lot of big star power. You know, with Aladdin, I would say that it got him a lot of notoriety just because it was a Disney film. And I don't know how much of that he actually had control over. I imagine it's kind of like a uh, Josh Trank Fantastic Four situation where, you know, he had all these edits he wanted to do. And then Disney kind of said, nope, can't do that. Because you can see a lot of that in the film where, like, Aladdin's jumping around buildings and things like that. You know, as for The Gentleman... I'm actually really excited to see it. I'm, I'm planning to go see it this weekend, but I do love the cast. I've heard good things from people who have seen it. It kind of feels like a return to form for Guy Ritchie, and I would hope that people would go see this one. And, you know, it would in a era of uh, these big budget superhero films and Star Wars films and things like that, that it would be kind of like a a standalone, something that kind of stands out amongst them. You know, we have, I feel like Guy Ritchie is kind of like the, uh, Martin Scorsese of crime comedies. So I would hope that this would be really good. I love Snatch. You know, it's still one of my favorite films of all time. But he got his uh, his start on that. Like a lot of British actors got started on Guy Ritchie films. I'm sure that he still has a lot left in him. And I'm excited to see this movie. Critical acclaim is a hard thing to get these days. So I don't know, you know, what their requirements are. But I I would hope that this would be something that kind of 
catches their eye. If not them, then, you know, the regular movie going folk like you and me. Well, let's hope that's the case and that there is a good word of mouth on the film and that people can compare it favorably to those films when you're talking about Revolver, Snatch, Lockstock, and Two Smoking Barrels that are similar vein to this type of film and that the gentleman can find an audience long term. And it's not exactly that expensive of a movie. So the turnaround as far as what it could do box office wise doesn't have to be that vast, but it's still already gotten over $15 million worldwide already. So it's gotten a nice little start going for it. If it has a decent weekend at the box office, 10, 15 million here in the US, that could be a nice tight little start for this film as far as what Guy Ritchie can do, whether he wants to do this type of film or a big budget film or what have you, he can always have choices because he's such a proven commodity as a director. So it's good to see what he's still doing as far as either the small project like he's doing here or a larger project like Aladdin or the Sherlock Holmes films, which is rumored to have a third one at some point in time down the road. So I'd like to see that from him, to be honest. I do like Snatch and Revolver and Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels. Those have all been decent films for me. But again, for me, it's been the Sherlock Holmes films, I think, from him that I've liked the best. So I'm hoping for more of that. And I think we will get it, especially after the failure of Doolittle for Robert Downey Jr. He'll probably need something else that's non-Marvel related to go ahead and keep him in the spirit of things. But yeah, like I said, it's still going to be a great weekend for the box office. I mean, Bad Boys 3 is still going to be doing around $30 million this weekend. So that's still very good as, as it reaches towards $100 million domestically. So it looks like it's going to be a nice hit for Sony. You still have 1917 still doing great numbers as it heads towards the Oscars. And I think as long as the gentleman gets some love at the box office, I think that's all you need, even a week or two. I think that'll show the film companies that will allow Guy Ritchie to continue to do whatever he wants, whether it's these small London, UK-based films that he likes to make, or if he wants to go ahead and do something more big budget. So hopefully we can go ahead and continue to see him doing the projects that he wants to do going forward because he is a very good director and I'd like to see more from him down the road. What are your thoughts out there on The Gentleman? Probably a lot better than The Turning because that horror movie looks like it's not going to do so well at the box office this weekend. But The Gentleman just might. Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Well, coming up next, we've got Jamie Monroy of Game Source and myself at Pepcom talking to the great folks at JBL. Then right after that, our interview with Marcus De La Garza starts on the most recent season of The Expanse, season four. And then right after that, Moff Mutrix, an interview we did with them at Pepcom. And then right after that, our second part of our interview with Marcus De La Garza. Plus after that, we've got JBL Quantum. And then after that, we'll close out the show with some thoughts on Super Mario World and also Blade Runner as well. This is the PCC Multiverse. For the latest news and information, analysis and opinions on the Los Angeles Lakers and the NBA... Check out the Lakers Fast Break podcast today on wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back once again at Pepcom and CES 2020. And now we're going to be talking to the people from JBL by Harmon. And I'm here today with Jessica Butler. She's here 
talk about all the great things that are going on with JBL, and you've got a, a lot of great products. For someone who's not into gaming, they're a great audiophile, they love to listen to great sound, they just love to go in through the airports with the music, airlines, they, they go hop board, you know, they go flights like I just did from Orlando back and forth. I need a good pair of headphones. Is JBL by Harman the place to go? Yes, of course. We have a wide range of headphones available. New this year are two True Wireless versions. The Tune 220 is one of them. It's part of our Tune line. It has a really good um, form that fits in most people's ear, which is really nice because you know a lot of people think that they fall out. Those fit really nice. They come in a lot of cool colors. They retail for $99.95, which is a great price point for those looking for something a little bit simple. Um, we also have the JBL Live 300, um, which is part of our Live line. And the Google Assistant and Amazon Alexa is built within, which is a really awesome part of that headphone. Um, you just use the app and you decide whether you want Amazon or whether you want Google, and then you kind of go from there. Those retail for $149.95 as well. We also have our new club headphone series. That's for musicians and DJs who really want some serious sound. They're really comfortable, noise canceling, come in a lot of different versions, starting from the price point of 200 to 400. Um, so lots of different headphones available for those types of musicians and DJs. We also have the Boombox 2, which is a portable speaker. It's the second iteration of the original Boombox, which is very beloved. 24 hours of playtime, waterproof, portable, and in the Boombox 2, you can charge your phone with it, which is a really exciting feature. One thing I want to ask you here is, how does JBL by Harman stand out, whether it's the earbuds, whether it's the headphones? You know, how do they stand out amongst all the crowd? JBL is known for their sound. I think that's what makes JBL stick out the most. In every single headphone you get, every single speaker you get, you're going to get JBL Signature Sound, which in my opinion is the best of the best. So really that's what differentiates us from other competitors. Looks like a very impressive line. Jamie, did you have any questions? As far as the Tune and the Live series, now I know that the Tune series it tends to give more of the deeper, richer bass. Is that still evident in the live series? Yes, 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 yes of course. Both, both have great bass, great sound. Um, like I said, that JBL signature sound can be found in both of them. And as far as the boom box is concerned, obviously Bluetooth technology as far as using it as a portable speaker as well. What type of battery life, if you don't go ahead and plug it in, what type of battery life are we talking about? Um, it lasts for 24 hours. Oh, very nice, yeah. very impressive. That's one long party. In fact, some of the... Yes, yes. Well, I'll tell you what, some of these parties that they've been trying to invite me to on the emails, they might be 24 hours long. So, you never know. But I want to hear more information on where people can find out exactly more information from JBL on these different lines of headsets, whether it's the noise canceling, whether it's for the DJs, whether it's for general consumers, the earbuds. Where can they go to find out more about these great products? go to jbl.com and search any product name or any type of headphone speaker portable and you should be able to find all the information you mentioned that some may not be available at this point in time yes um, so most of the products that we announced today um, will be available this spring oh, fair enough so pre-orders will be available at some point in time correct DJs out there in the world podcaster if you're listening there's lots of stuff to pre-order on the horizon coming from JBL, so keep your eyes open and keep listening to us. We'll let you know first. 
Well, definitely, it's been a great pleasure talking to you. It's a great line of, of different headsets and also as well the boombox that you have on display here at Pepcom and CES 2020. Jessica, I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to speaking to us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos. But did you have any last thoughts on JBL or anything as far as what's going on here at CES before we head on out? Nope, that's it. All right, well, I'll tell you what. It is a great line indeed, and if you need any more information out there on the line of JBL by Harman, check it out today at JBL.com. Thank you so much, Jessica, for being a part of the show and being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. This is Gerald coming right back at you here, and I had to get this guy on. We've been trying to negotiate it for a little while, but he's been so busy, but I know he's been wanting to talk about this for some time. It's the aftermath of Season 4 of The Expanse. He was uh, very positive about it, very hopeful when we first talked about the subject just before the series came on the air and on Amazon. And But both he and I, little did we know that there would be such a tremendous response to The Expanse when it came out, season four, to the realms of Amazon, because I'll tell you what, it exploded onto the Amazon scene. And one of the things I talked about him was I was worried about whether they were going to go ahead and promote it well enough, because I know that was not one of their marquee shows, especially when they ran a, you know, some nationwide commercials and the expanse was just ignored off of it. So I was kind of worried, but you know what? The viewers came out in droves to go ahead and check out the expanse season four on Amazon. And here with me today is a good man. Indeed. He's one of the most busiest men I know of, whether it's drones, whether it's expanse, whether it's in music and so much more. It is Marcus De La Garza. And Marcus, always great to have you back on the program. Always great to be back, Gerald. And thank you to you and the uh, Pop Culture Cosmos fans for having me back always. So it's it's wonderful to be here. It's always great to have you on, my friend, especially when something you're very passionate about. And that is definitely The Expanse. And I know you've got to be thrilled after hearing the initial numbers that are posted because – when it comes to streaming numbers, they're always kind of vague, these streaming services. You don't really know how much unless they really want to tout it. Then they'll tell you exactly how much it is. Well, you know what? They really wanted to go ahead and tout their numbers because not only did it perform well, well, well above what it was ever doing on the Sci-Fi Network, but it's done so well that they've actually gone ahead, already greenlit a season five. They've increased the budget for it. They've went ahead and not not only got one, not two, but three of the individuals that were on a guest starring or co-starring road. They're now part of the series as series regulars. So that's a great sign indeed for the expanding of The Expanse. Absolutely. No, I'm really looking forward to next season, you know, just based off of what you just said there. Uh, Just adding new characters to the storyline is going to give us, um, it's putting us in a position where we can have some really, really fun stuff happen next year where maybe the entire crew is not all together. Maybe the uh, we get a little separation there. We get an, an additional storyline in that sense again because it worked pretty well for us this season, I would say, with Naomi and Alex being up in, in orbit. So That's something I wanted to talk about because, you know, like, like I said, there's so much in, in play now when it comes to The Expanse. The opportunities now for it are so much better and so much more vast than what we saw on the sci-fi network. And we were kind of worried about that because we didn't see the kind of initial bump. But as I'm seeing with the best show that I saw last year on television, The Boys, which was also on Amazon, there was a limitation on the budget per se, but those limitations seemed to be off the hook. 
now that they've proven that they can go ahead and garner a huge audience. And the same thing looks forward to the expanse as well. Yeah. And you and I have talked about that, you know, briefly with the boys and, and I've expanded upon that, you know, further in, in, in my own time. But I, I think that show really changed the marketplace. And I, I know you probably feel the same way about it, but it gave us something that was so crass and so unique. That was uh, it was something we needed almost. And so the same thing uh, to an extent with the uh, with the expanse. I think this is the must see sci fi drama that we've been waiting for for years. And, you know, I, I know the, the nerdier ones among us, you know, me included, I've been waiting for something along these lines since Battlestar Galactica finished. Right. You know, I, I've been looking for something that would just fill this void of sci fi drama that would have us looking to the future rather than, you know, politics on the ground or, you know, crime dramas on the ground, whatever it is. I, I my brain's always out in space for some reason. So I'm very excited by this, uh, you know, that by this prospect that, you know, we are going to grow this series and it is going to become something different. You know, in the early years, I used to tell people, hey, you've got to read this book series. It's like Game of Thrones, but in space. And I think we're finally at a, a point now with the TV show where maybe it could do something like that, where you'll have enough major characters that have been developed and enough storylines that we can have those diverse storylines occurring, much like we were just briefly talking about here with, you know, Alex and Amy being up in orbit, Holden and Amos being on the ground, you know, that kind of thing. And it's that's not a new tool for The Expanse. They've been doing that from the beginning with the TV show, whether it's, you know, Holden and, and, and Miller running around, you know, doing their own mission and, you know, the group being separated. But it was very well executed this year. I was, I was very excited by it. It's fun to finally see this TV show track in the way that you wanted to, to, to track after, if you're such a big fan of the, of the book series, right? And so, um, you know, as the casual fan, I'm sure, and because you haven't read the books, have you, Gerald? No, not as of yet. Yeah, and it's I'm sure even as a casual fan, you can tell the difference of the, I don't want to say the writing style, because it's still the same writers for the most part, you know, for the TV show. It's but just, it just you, seemed like they were given more freedom than what they were doing on sci-fi. Absolutely, and, and it just it made for a, a more complete experience, and I think that's what we all want when we go for a TV show. You want a complete experience that's going to take you, you know, take you into that different place. Whether it's taking you out of something or taking you to a different place, you can go experience something new. That's what we all want. And I feel like I finally got that out of uh, Amazon Prime with their representation of The Expanse. And, and that's something I want to ask you when it comes to season four. Obviously, something there appealed to a larger mass audience than ever before because it reflected in the numbers. What works so well with season four, in your opinion? I mean, what storylines or what was so compelling to you? As someone who has seen the entire series, who's read the books, and obviously you're you're like you said, you're so elated about what's going on as far as the future and the success of the show. But what works so well, do you think, in your opinion, that garnered it so much attention? And, and like I said, that's despite the fact that it wasn't considered when it first came out on Amazon Prime, one of the top tier shows. As I mentioned, I mean, they could have had the opportunity to go ahead and be advertised on national television, on broadcast television. Mm -hmm. And Amazon chose another way. They chose, you know, shows like The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is an excellent show, Emmy award-winning show in its own right, Fleabag, which is, you know, a greatly successful show as well. So what do you think clicks so well with audiences that, it, it gained such a movement and gained such a following in such a short period of time. I mean, honestly, it's it's the thing that we talked about, you know, prior to the release of the, the, the season was character development. And I think the character development that we had this season was outstanding. And one of the big characters that you'll see it in is Amos, right? Like, 
finally we get to see that vulnerable side of Amos. It takes a few, you know, almost the entire season, but you know, when he's stumbling around the cave and he's mostly blind and holding, you know, like comes up on him and scares him basically, you know, we finally see that human, that, that human side of Amos. And it's, it's not done in a way that makes us mad because, oh my God, they just forced this humanity upon him. It's, we finally hit the edges of the solar system and we're out here on our own. And it doesn't matter how big and strong and scary you are. We're all in this together to a certain extent. Like we're all screwed here. And so um, just that character development with Amos, even Naomi and, and um, I feel like, you know, even though we're not, it felt like we were kind of closing out the officer Rala storyline. And so her development as a character into something that we didn't personally, I didn't personally enjoy as a, you know, as a watcher, you know, I didn't enjoy it in the sense of, I didn't want to see my favorite character go there, you know, from, uh, from an ethical moral standpoint, you know, but I thought it was a beautiful portrayal of what, you know, where she had to go. It's just, I think really what it was, was character development this season and a compelling storyline. We're out here on our own. We've got our divisions. We've got our divisions between people, you know, depending on what world you're born on. And we also have the division between you work for a corporation. I work, you know, I don't work for a corporation. I'm here as a refugee. We've got so many different divisions here, and it just made for a wonderful medium for telling a great story, I think. Well, they took concepts which you've seen before and to some degree in other sci-fi shows, like you mentioned, where there were the different factions, whether they were you know, on Earth or they were from Earth or they were not from from the planet. And you saw those divisions there. Plus, like you said, the corporation and not corporation, uh, you know, you saw those divisions there as well. That seems to be a dynamic a lot of people were getting behind as far as the Amazon is concerned. I was checking out Reddit and checking out the comments that are there. And I could just see the higher volume from what I even saw and what I even looked into from a year, two years ago. But many more people are, are voicing their opinions on this show. So it's creating that dialogue. I think that's what's probably at best about it, and that's why it's become so popular is because it's creating that dialogue as the show that people should not miss. Yeah, and I think it creates that dialogue by creating characters that you can draw parallels to, you know, within your own life. You know, when you look at how strong Amos has to be, you kind of you draw parallels to those times in your life where you have to be the strong person for your family or you've got to be the strong person for yourself, you know, and so it, just those compelling storylines and being able to personally draw parallels to a lot of the the strong moments or the weak moments or any of the moments with any of the characters in that show. I think that's what really sold season four for and within my household. <laughs> I can only speak within my household and within my family. That's what sold it for a lot of the people in my household and my family. And so, you know, it's I, I was very excited by this season and uh, I, I guess I should probably leave it at that. You're listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos. Don't touch that dial. Wait, do, do people still use dials? Get ready for Box Art, a gaming docuseries from Pyre Productions and Rob McCallum Films. If you love video games, chances are there's a box cover or cover image that you love and has stuck with you for decades. In our series, Box Art, we travel across North America to visit with the unknown illustrators and artists responsible for creating the most iconic gaming images of all time. What was once scheduled to be a 90-minute documentary is now a six-episode season packed with unbelievable tales that paint a picture of the gaming industry you've never imagined. Just one of the many pop culture projects from Rob McCallum, Empire Productions. And once again, we're back at CES 2020 and Pepcom, the Sterile Glasser, along with my good friend, Mr. Jamie Monroy. We're here at MOFT, and they've got a lot of great things that are going on when it comes to glasses that you might be interested in, whether you're a gamer or not. And here today is Lee Ron, and he's going to tell us today about all the great things coming from MOFT right now, including some glasses that I think you'll want to hear more about. Yeah, 
Actually, I'm wearing a smart audio glass. It's dedicated for gaming. And uh, when you play some like a video game, you feel the sound from surrounding area on left and right. And also you can use the glass to control the, like a phone call, or even you can ask a Siri. And the lens is a uh, UV400 protection, so it's very good for the, for the eyes. And also open ear design is good for the ears as well. So the battery life is four hours. And we just launched uh, these products on Kickstarter today. And uh, fortunately, we finished our goal today, tonight. And uh, if you like us, back us on the Kickstarter. The project is a Mutrix. That's right, it's the Mutrix, that's M-U-T-R-I-C-S. The smart glasses that are available right now on Kickstarter. It sounds like a great project. Jamie, did you have any questions? Yeah, I noticed uh, with the Bluetooth connection and everything, so that means obviously I saw there, you're gonna be able to use it for your mobile games, and mobile needs, also Nintendo Switch, things of that nature. Yeah, exactly, connect with any Bluetooth devices. And also, like Apple Watch and computers, it all works. And as someone like Jamie and I, who he does a lot of streaming, I play a lot of the systems as well. It's something that could definitely be a benefit to us as gamers. So if they want to find out more information again about the Kickstarter, where do they need to go? Yeah, you can find us at the Mutrix on Kickstarters. Okay, that's Mutrix again. That's M-U-T-R-I-C-E-S that's backed up, like I said, by the Moth Company. It's great smart gaming glasses for someone and create an experience unlike anything that I've ever seen before, right? Yeah, and I love the aesthetic design, the old school Game Boy throwback to that. Just, I love it. Well, Liron, we want to thank you so much for going ahead and telling us today about the great Mutrix glasses, which you can go ahead and back today on Kickstarter. Cannot thank you enough for being a part of the show today and allowing us to go ahead and talk to you about these great glasses indeed. I think a lot of gamers will be very interested to see on Kickstarter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, guys, gentlemen. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Once again, it's Marcus de la Garza joining me about the expanse and what's hopefully coming up for the future for the series. Let me ask you this. You said you were excited for the season. You were so hyped going into it. Did it meet all your expectations? And also, is it the best season of the expanse that you've ever seen? Of the four. Because mm. I'm going to equate it to Stranger Things. Because Stranger Things, I only got into it a little bits and pieces in the first few seasons. Season three did it for me as far as getting me into this, to the whole series itself. I thought that was by far the best of the series, even though it's been critically acclaimed before. But for me, I really didn't get into the series until season three, which I found extremely rewarding. And I was wondering for you if that's the case and you feel that this is the best season for The Expanse. All right, I've got two answers to that question. Yes, I would say this is the best season for The Expanse because this sets the stage for everything moving forward. This sets the stage for four more seasons in a movie, possibly, right? Like, that's my dream. However, I'll say that it was the unique storyline and the prospect of where the story could go of the first season that actually got me hooked. And so I think uh, I, I am biased, but I'll say season one to me was still my, it, it'll still be my favorite. It'll be my number one, but I cannot discount what season four is going to do for this franchise moving forward. And what it did, you know, for the franchise this year, I think if season one wasn't as compelling to me, as far as, you know, when I read the book and then I, or when I watched the season and read the book and, you know, it, a lot of the same emotions that I had as I was watching Miller and, and Holden, you know, go through hell, 
on Eros, you know, those are the same emotions I had when I was watching the TV show, you know, they're when I was reading, watching that kind of thing. And so, um, you know, I think that's always going to have a soft spot in my heart, you know, and, but season four did a really good job of portraying the storyline and, and, um, giving us everything we wanted, I think. So it's a toss up season one, season four, I'll give the edge to season four, just because I know what it can do for us moving forward. And that's something that if a lot of other people like yourself are saying that and season four was the best, or even if they come into it now, which obviously by the numbers, a lot of people are coming into this for the first time and, and they not caught it on sci-fi. So it's apparent that because of the numbers that you're going to have that situation. I mean, it looks like everything has clicked for the series so far, mm-hmm. but before I get into what you think is going to come up down the road for the expanse, I want to ask you this kind of a little offbeat question, but it concerns something that you mentioned in this conversation already, and that was sci-fi television mm-hmm. and something that you mentioned with Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask you this. Why are networks or why are basically television outlets as a whole so shy about getting into a sci-fi series? I don't know if I have a great answer to that off the top of my head. And, and I think a lot of it just comes down to it's so hard to do. You know, it's it's hard to do and it's hard to do well. You know, when you look at that with respect to a sci-fi show, it kind of goes the same because you've got a lot of CGI. There's a lot of contractors involved in the project. So if you want to do it and you want to do it well, it's going to take a lot of time and it's going to take a lot of money or you're not going to do it well. And, you know, it's going to it's going to be a waste of money and time or, you know, whatever it is. And so a lot of people are just afraid to commit to that because of how many people have failed in the past, I guess. And even though many people, I wouldn't even say a lot of people have failed in the past. I I think people have taken a run at things and because the initial response wasn't there, you know, they weren't allowed to keep pursuing storylines. One that comes to mind is Gravity. I want to say it was on Fox. Wonderful sci-fi show is about traveling in a deep space and encountering, you know, alien life, basically. And uh, it got booted after 10 episodes and i think they had to finish the rest of it on cbc you know up in canada <laughs> so people have tried i think it's just it's hard to do well and that's why people are gun shy about uh, going after sci-fi series i do want to say though i think people are starting to go back to sci-fi or looking at going back to you know, modes of sci-fi right like you don't have to base it in space it can be futuristic and it can have just a minute space element to it where maybe you know one episode a season, you're traveling through space doing something, whatever it is. You know, I think people are starting to go back to it. And I think some of that is just the hope that, you know, I think the new frontier always brings to us to a certain extent. We talked about it briefly before The Expanse premiered. But, you know, I'd just done Kennedy Space Center. And, and that's, I mean, the the hope you get is walking through there is outstanding. I, th- I think everyone should do it at least once in their life because it does make you hopeful for the the prospect of science and, and, and future and just future tech in general. So. Well, I did it right around the start of the new year. So uh, I did it just after you. So I understand completely. And I saw the sheer size of what goes into it. I think that's what took me back the most was when you go to the Kennedy Space Center and you see some of the like a space shuttle or or space shuttle Atlantis, or you see some of the fuel tanks and things of that nature, just the sheer scope and the sheer size of what you're dealing with as far as things having to go out into space it's really just mind boggling. And then you'd like you, t- you talk about where we could go from here as far as space exploration. It seems almost unlimited at this point where we can go from here. So a lot of good things to look forward to as far as space exploration on a real standpoint. I mean, hopefully this will ignite even more sci-fi stories on a broadcast or cable or streaming television format. 
I know the Orville going to Hulu was kind of like a step back, but we'll have to wait and see where that series now gets to go from here. But before we go ahead and head on out, my friend, I want to ask you this. Where do you see as far as the future for storylines? You know, you mentioned briefly where you wanted the series to go, but if you were going ahead and you were sitting down for, okay, this is how we're going to plan season five and beyond, what do you really want to get out of what you're seeing with The Expanse? I want to further develop the political factions. That's it's something that we briefly explored, you know, in the first, you know, two seasons and, and the idea of the OPA versus Earth versus Mars. And I I I know it's coming because of who we cast, the characters that they've, you know, played to this point. So we are going to get that political division, you know, developed in future episodes. It'll be interesting to see how they portray this because Marco Ineros, uh, we briefly talked about him this season. The you know the guy that plays him got renewed for a, a full time role next season. The guy that plays Philip, Marco's uh, son and Naomi's son, he got signed off for a, a full time role for the coming season. The two of those guys and the way that they portray their recruitment strategies and how they bring you know people into the fold, I think that'll be really interesting to watch because that in and of itself will be like uh, watching a, a cult drama or a cult documentary, that kind of thing, where you can see that insurgency mindset develop in a in a group of people and and want to you know cause harm to you know to to a a larger idea that kind of thing so it'll be interesting to see how they portray that it'll be fun to to watch that develop and and see where they go with it and that's 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 really my hope that's that's all i want i want to continue character development and just develop the political aspect a little bit and go from there before we head on out my friend i got to hear an update of what's going on with you with all the drones with all the action that's going on in your life what is new in the world of marcus de la garza We've got a really interesting few weeks coming up. Honestly, the next three and a half months are going to be fun. I just wrapped up my big project for the year. My company, Castle Creative, provides aerial photography and videography services to the Florida RV Trades Association. So every year, the Florida RV Trade Association gets all the manufacturers together in the nation, and they throw a whole bunch of motorhomes out there. And I go out there and take pictures and videos, and you know, video the crowd, that kind of thing. And it's it's great, you know. But you know, moving forward. I'm actually going to be starting coding school in about two weeks. So I'm going to be learning web development and and doing some of that. And I'm going to look to see. I haven't really found out how I'm going to incorporate that with Castle Creative or if it will be incorporated at all. I might just jump down that path and see where that takes me and, 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 you know, develop a career from there. And maybe Castle Creative becomes supplemental income, that kind of thing. But, you know, that's what's going on with me. I've got a, a pretty busy few weeks coming up here, though. I live in Tampa Bay. So this weekend is Gasparilla Festival which is basically pirate Mardi Gras. I'll put some pictures up. I'll make sure I tag you in them, Gerald, so that you can share them with the pop culture's Cosmos family. I dress as a pirate and run around all day uh, and drink Moscow mules. It's outstanding. Can't get much funner than that. No, it can't. So I'll make sure I I send you guys some photos so that you guys can put them up for the pop culture Cosmos family. Sounds good. We're looking forward to it. And if anybody wants to find out more information on your work with the Castle Creative, where can they go? They can search Castle Creative on Facebook or go to castlecreative.com and that's Castle with a K, K A S T L E, Creative with a K as well, K R E A T I V E dot com, castlecreative.com. You're always welcome back, my friend, to talk more pop culture. And I know you're going to be coming throughout the year back on the show with updates, not only the expanse, but drones, but 
anything else in pop culture that you want to talk about. So I am going to go ahead and, and keep you a regular part of the program if you do not mind. No, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we've got Daytona coming up in uh, we're Daytona. Under, yeah, I think we're under 30 days, aren't we? Yes, we are. So we'll have to talk Daytona and some of the big moves that are still happening this late you know, in the offseason. We've got people signing contracts. Daniel Suarez just signed a contract last week for a full time ride. My goodness. Yep. It is still <laughs> silly season in NASCAR. Obviously, we've got to go ahead and do our NASCAR season preview coming up here in a little bit next Maybe. month, just before Speed Weeks and Daytona and all that. I know a lot of people are now talking about Kyle Busch now that he's won. Now that he gets to go ahead and drive in the Indy 500 as a reward and do that. So I know a lot of people are talking about that as well. So it is good, something good to see. A little bit more talk back into NASCAR. Let's hope this decade begins a lot better than what ended for the whole series because you saw the popularity declining in NASCAR over the back half of the decade. So let's let's hope for better things for NASCAR as a whole because it is always fun to watch when you see everything going on in NASCAR and all the rivalries and all that. So I'm hopeful for that. And you will give us an update and your predictions coming up here next month as well on the NASCAR season. So I'm looking forward to it, my friend. Absolutely. Me all too. right. It is Marcus De La Garza. You got to go ahead and check out what he's doing today by going ahead and watching us right here at the Pop Culture Cosmos as we continue to give you updates on what's going on with The Expanse, NASCAR, drones, and so much more right here with Marcus De La Garza and the Pop Culture Cosmos. If you need your video game fix, be sure to check out Retro City Games. Located in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada, Retro City Games has the cure for all your video game vices. Retro games and games for current consoles, Nintendo, Sega, PlayStation, Xbox, and more. Retro City Games has all the staples from any library and some highly collectible offerings too. So pick up a few games today at Retro City Games in Town Square on Las Vegas Boulevard or in Henderson, Nevada. Retro City Games is your video game metropolis thanks again for joining us right here at pepcom and ces 2020 i'm here at jbl quantum i'll tell you what there's a lot of great audio equipment here that caught my eye and it caught jamie's as well and here to talk to me today about what's going on with jbl is sarah parasol yes. oh sweet yes i got it you, I've been coming to a few Pepcoms now, and you have no idea how many names I've blown over the years. And I'm just like, oh, ooh, uh, 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 so I got it. You nailed it. Not a lot of people get that one on the first try. So. Oh, sweet. I wasn't sure if I was going to go to or whatever on that was because it was, I don't know. I'm just glad I got it on the first try. But I'll tell you what, getting back to the units right here from JBL, JBL is a major name in the audio industry. They've got a lot here to show us today, but please let us know why JBL is a leader in the audio industry with what you've got shown off here today at CES and Pepcom. Yeah, so as you mentioned, JBL has been known to be a leader in the audio space for over 75 years. Most people are probably familiar with their great sounding headphones or speakers. The JBL Quantum line, which is what we have here today, is actually JBL's first foray into the gaming space. So Quantum is a series of gaming headsets. The whole range actually includes seven different gaming headsets and one set of gaming speakers. We did a lot of research into kind of what gamers are looking for and found that you know, people were, were dissatisfied with the audio quality of a lot of the headsets that were on the market. So JBL has been researching the line for, for about two years, and the goal is to really provide an option for every type of gamer. So there's tremendous range within the line. 
starting with the Quantum 100, which is kind of the entry-level headset, definitely for the more casual gamer. That's starting at about $39.95. Going all the way up to the Quantum 1, which is the hero of the line, includes a lot of very advanced technology, head tracking, definitely for the more advanced gamer, and that's available for $299.95. From kind of the base to the premium and everything in between, there's wired options, wireless options, they're all compatible on all platforms. And then we do have the duo speakers as well for the gamer that prefers gaming with speakers versus headsets. So really trying to bring JBL's premium audio quality to the gaming experience for every type of gamer. I know I have a lot of questions, but before I go into it, Jamie, I want to take it to you, my friend. You're looking at it now. What do you see and what type of questions did you have first off for Sarah? Well, I can honestly see that she wasn't lying, JBL's done their homework. You can see they've got the you know, carbon. I mean, aesthetically, it looks very pleasing to what I've been seeing getting pushed more nowadays. Plenty of options, like she said, wireless all the way up to, you know, wired, you got your Cadillac down to your basic model. And I mean, to me, it looks like you can't go wrong anywhere in between. It's just all what you're actually looking for um, personally. I want to ask you first off, as far as the sound quality is concerned, are you dealing with any DTS, THX, surround sound, as far as within the context of the, of the actual headphones themselves when you go from a different unit to a different unit from there on out? Yeah, I mean, so all of the headsets do have JBL's kind of premium audio quality, but they have been specifically engineered with the gamer in mind, and it does kind of depend what model you're using. So the Quantum 1, um, that's the only model in the line that has Quantum Surround 360 technology, so it's actually a proprietary technology that JBL developed that provides 360-degree sound, so it's very advanced head tracking. So when you're playing, you know, you're hearing sound not just on either side, but actually behind you, above you, which is obviously kind of invaluable to a gamer. Absolutely, and also for what we're talking about here for, for extended use, one thing that's also is really important with me is weight of the units itself because obviously when you're having those for a longer period of time they, they have a tendency to wear down the gamer especially if you're for instance using those for podcasting like I do for streaming like he does and things of that nature so when you're doing as far as not only gaming but podcasting and streaming you have a tendency to be on four five six hour runs how does JBL's quantum line help combat that yeah, so I would have to check on the exact weight of each headset, but these are definitely designed with comfort in mind, knowing that a lot of gamers, or as you mentioned, podcasters, are wearing these for kind of hours on end. So I definitely encourage you to try them on. They're designed to be super comfortable. They have these extra padded ear cups, um, nice kind of padding around the headband too at the top of the head. So they're they're definitely meant to be, be super comfortable for long wear. Jamie? <laughs> They actually are very comfortable. <laughs> the ear cups felt oh, like fine European leather. Oh my gosh. Don't, don't go Corinthian leather on me. That's pretty cheesy if you said that. But very light, comfortable. Usually I have a lot of issues with the headbands. Not at all. Very light though. I mean, uh, you yourself personally, I, you want to get your take on this too. 
Well, when it comes to headphones, you know that's a big issue with me as far as lightweight is concerned. That, that's something, because I've gone through so many, and I do suffer when I have certain headphones on for a period of time. So it's always good to know when someone like JBL Quantum comes out and introduces a line that has those type of things that can help a consumer and help the gamer out there with lighter weight headphones. That's good to hear. One last thing I want to ask you about, well, actually a couple last questions, I apologize. And that's also important to me, when you're streaming and when you're on the radio or when you're on the podcast and you use those as that type of device is the microphone. And of course, when you're gaming, you want to go ahead and talk smack to the individual. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Share goodwill to the other individual that's out there on the other end. You know, like we saw in Avengers Endgame. When it comes to the microphones in your quantum line, how does that compare to other models out there? Because to me, I see that's usually a failing point for other models out there is that there's not enough time crafted in the microphone, which is really key to a lot of people, a lot of gamers, and a lot of podcasters as well. Yeah, no, well, I mean, I would love to get you a, a review unit so you can test it out and get your take, but, you know, definitely the goal is to provide kind of quality throughout, so thought has definitely been given to the microphone. Um, as you can see, it kind of varies line by line in terms of um, the one, the top of the line gives you a lot of flexibility in terms of mic placement. You can't see this if you're listening to this, but it's it's pretty it's pretty bendable, so you can kind of tweak it. But then if you as you move down to like the 800 or the 600, you have the option to kind of use it or not use it. So definitely trying to provide options for people to be able to kind of use the microphone as, as they and the desktop speakers are looking very impressive. Can you tell me a little bit more about those as well? Yeah, so this is the JBL Duo speaker. So again, just kind of bringing um, JBL's deep expertise in both the headphone and speaker space to the gaming category, knowing that while a lot of gamers do prefer to game with headsets, wanted to make sure that we were also offering an option for those that prefer to use speakers. So that's, that's where the Duo comes in. It is the only speaker in the lineup currently. And those are, they're USB-C connected, and those are available for $149.95. Any last questions, Jamie? So, I'm looking at some of the different options that you have yeah. in front of us. Are the light options only available on what I'm seeing as far as here, or the, sorry. the actual LED options? So, I noticed they have lighting options. Or is that an actual lighting option? Um, yeah, so that... The light up option yeah. is the 1, 800, 600 through the 400. Then after the 400, the lighting off drops. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. And one last question. If somebody wants to find out more information or the availability of these products, this because this is a very impressive line that you've got here. Alex, Sarah, where would we want to go for that? Um, that would be jblquantum.com. And the headsets and speaker will be available in April. Oh, very good. Yeah. But are pre-orders available now? Not yet but definitely before April, potentially end of March. Okay, because you know us gamers, we like to pre-order things. Yeah. Games, well, apparatus. That falls into E3 season, so. Exactly, yeah, yeah right That's beforehand. Pre-orders go up. Yeah. There you go, there you go, indeed. Well, Alex and Sarah, I do want to thank you both so much for being a part of the show and, and telling us about the great line of JBL Quantum products that you've got right here right now. It's just so impressive to see it. I like the custom black. I like it. I like it indeed. It's looking very good. 
And I'll tell you what, we're, we're hoping to hear more on it. I'm hoping to get a chance to have the opportunity to go ahead and hopefully try them out and, and compare them to the, the actual, well, I think I've three or four still at home that I've, I've tried to review. And I gave the one to Tony. Yeah, uh, that, yeah, yeah, he's still that one when he streams on one that I gave him. So as compared to those, to see exactly if it's something that really people, consumers and gamers alike, will really use this as a top-notch gaming line that you see for their gaming headsets. I, I do want to thank you again both for being a part of the show. Any last thoughts, Jamie? Just hopefully we get to get our hands on these. All right, and uh, Alex and Sarah, one last question for you. Is there anything you want to tell our consumers one more time about what's going on with the whole line from JBL with their JBL Quantum Series? Yeah, no, I would just reiterate that, you know, we're super excited to be entering the space. We think we have a, a really great option for gamers of all levels, and definitely visit jblquantum.com to learn more. Sounds good indeed. Well, Sarah, Alex, I do appreciate both of you being on the show. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us right here at Pepcom and CES 2020. I wish you both and JBL the best of luck with your quantum line. For you gamers out there, you podcasters and streamers, take note. A new kids in town. It's a familiar name, and I'm sure you're going to go ahead and check it out because there's a lot of good things to see from JBL with their quantum line. Thank you so much, ladies. I appreciate your time for being part of the Pop Culture Cosmos. And we're back to close out the show as the PCC Multiverse. Also want to make sure to thank Marcus De La Garza, the folks at JBL, JBL Quantum, and Moff Mutrix. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today and allowing us to go ahead and share some thoughts on not only the world of consumer electronics, but pop culture as well. Two quick things, my friend. The epic universe that Universal is creating in Orlando, they've just confirmed that they're going to go ahead and build a Super Mario World within the context of that third park. I just recently visited the Universal Parks and just had a great time there. So your thoughts on a third Universal Park in Orlando containing a Super Mario World and basically it's going to be a big Nintendo adventure. I think it's a great idea. I don't know why there aren't more theme park attractions based on video games because if what we've learned anything over the past few years especially with nintendo and their switch hardware is that people do like that stuff like video games are not going out as it was once believed when the mobile game thing started picking up i i don't know why it's taken them so long to get something like that i'm i know that it's going to do well in japan but i'm just curious and i'd love to hear your thoughts how do you think it's going to do with the american market that's the question I think if it has the solid context of what you and I are most familiar with and also the regular consumer at large, and that is Super Mario, Zelda, Pokemon. As long as it contains some of those elements within the confines of Super Mario World, no matter how big it is, it's going to be one of the best and most frequented areas of the new Universal Park at Orlando when it opens. Before we head on out, my friend, I want to go ahead and, and talk to you real quick. Denis Villeneuve, the director of our favorite film of 2017, Blade Runner 2049, he said he wouldn't mind going into the Blade Runner world one more time. But he said he wouldn't be ending the trilogy. He said it would go off into another part of the Blade Runner universe. Disagree or agree? Okay, so I think the Blade Runner universe is so vibrant and so full of story potential that it would be a shame not to go back to it in, in any form. You know, I know they have the animes and they're they're planning on finishing, you know, the Harrison Ford, Ryan Gosling arcs in comic book form. And that's really cool. I'm stoked to see that. But yeah, it'd be a shame to kind of let that world run dry and just never touch it again. 
you and I both loved Blade Runner, Blade Runner 2049. And I think it would be really hard to not have a great film to end that trilogy. And I would like to see the Blade Runner universe expand upon whether it's through an ending of the trilogy or whether through it's another idea that Denis Villeneuve comes up with. Yeah, I just I feel like it would be really cool to revisit that world. And I'm sure, you know, if Dune does well enough and with them making these comments, there will be conversations at some point about it. So I just, you know, let's keep our fingers crossed and hope that, you know, even in the telling of a, a different story in the universe, maybe they could show us what happens to Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling in those films. Dune, however, is another conversation for another day we're going to have. And as it gets closer to that film's release, you and I will be talking about Dune. But for Blade Runner, we would definitely like to see something down the road for that universe. So for Josh Peterson, this is Gerald Glassford. It's another beautiful day in paradise right here in the PCC multiverse. We thank you for listening. And here's hoping you have yourself a great day.